Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Palm Harvest City Leaders Podcast. My name is Mike Decker, and joining me in the studio today is my good friend, one of my best friends, Dr. Kirk Bauermeister. Kirk? Hello. It's great to be here. <laughs> Glad you're here. I think. We'll see. So, so Kirk, let's, <laughs> let's sort of set the context for our conversation, and um, really the goal of this podcast, is, as we've talked before off-camera and stuff, is particularly with city leadership is I'm really interested in how do people love their city in the various arenas in which they kind of move and live throughout the their you know the rhythm of their life and so for the sake of our viewers and listeners who are listening just audio what kind of tell us what you do currently what's your current post uh, within the school district I am executive director of secondary education for Newport Mesa Unified School District so in layman's terms <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What's that job? My job really is to be a resource for secondary principals, kind of a mentor. And also sometimes we get new principals in and there's there's lots of different um, silos in our organization. We have maintenance and operations. We have facilities. We have human resources. We have fiscal. And so sometimes when we have new principals, maybe they don't know who to talk to or or. Um, don't have the relationships really. And so I'm kind of the, the conduit. I'm kind of the go-between. I kind of connect dots and help our principals really um, get things done. I mean, they're busy working with their staff and their kids and their parent communities and things. And so I can I have more time to really work through issues maybe than they do. And so um, I'm there to help them through difficult times. If usually if there's some kind of crisis at school, I'm their first call. Uh, and then I call the people that needed to be called so they can deal with their issue at the school. And so really my job is really just to work with secondary principals. It's kind of a unique job in education. So when we talk about secondary we're talking high schools high schools right? and middle schools oh okay yes what do you call primary would be a what's what do you call elementary, elementary? okay yeah so within the newport mesa school district uh put you on the spot how many high schools do we have well uh, 10 junior highs and high okay. schools. we have four comprehensive high schools we have early college high school and we have a uh, uh continuation high school back bay monta vista and then we have uh Ensign Intermediate, Timical Intermediate, and then Costa Mesa and Colonel Marr have seven uh, twelve, so they have um, middle schools on their high school campuses as well. So within Newport Mesa School District, geographically, what cities does that include? Costa Mesa, Newport Beach. Okay. And Colonel Marr. Colonel Marr is considered to be part of Newport Beach? Yes. Okay. Hopefully we won't get any viewers angry about that. Um, so what would be... Well, let me just, let's start with a simple question. What do you love most about your job? And then maybe segue into what keeps you awake at night, if anything, because I know you're a heavy sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the thing that I love the most about my job is working with the principals and the relationships and realizing that I have the ability to make a difference in kids' lives. That's why I got into education in the first place. And although my job takes me further away from students than I've ever been, I, I think I have the ability to influence them through principals and what they do. And a lot of the, you know, as you know, I'm in a lot of meetings and committees and work in different areas. So it's just, it's the ability um, to feel like I'm making a difference in our community with our kids. You know, I, I will, I always dig it when a teacher or an administrator, you would be considered an administrator, I guess, at this point in your career, says that they love kids. And one of my observations, Kirk, is 
uh, it seems like over a generation or over a long tenure that it's easy for teachers sometimes to lose that love. Do you see that within administrative too? I mean, that's kind of a, uh, what causes that? I mean, it's easy, I would think, to be more thinking about liability necessarily than how do we create a nice experience for kids. Is that is that accurate? It's easy to get jaded. Um, teachers have difficult jobs. They deal with a lot of difficult situations, a lot of difficult kids, a lot of difficult parents, a lot of difficult administrators. And, and so um, sometimes they get jaded and sometimes, you know, some years and some classes are more difficult than others. Um, and, and so I, I think it's important to remind teachers and administrators and everybody in education, again, of how important our job is. And one of the things when I was a principal, I would tell our teachers, you may make some offhanded comment to a kid today that you won't ever remember that could change the course of that kid's life and really change the course of his whole family's um, trajectory just with a comment and I, I, that both positive teachers, and negative absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely because i've had i've had kids come back to me and say hey remember when you said to me no you know i really don't and it was kind of life-changing for them and i've had the same thing in my life i've had teachers that have had tremendous impact uh, on my life even though i had great parents and loving parents still that idea of somebody outside of your family that sees something in you that encourages you is so important and so um, I think we need to remind our teachers and administrators all the time because w we get negative things, and sometimes we we kind of feel like, hey, am I you know, am I really making a difference? Because a lot of times the difference that we make is ten years down the road. You know, when kids come back and let us know, then they don't really let us know in the moment, and so um, it's important to uh, be that encouragement, I think, to teachers and administrators, and hopefully that's what I'm part of my job too is encouraging them. So. I've, for those of you who are listening and viewing, I've known Kirk for almost 30 years. I mean, and so it's really been, I feel like I've had a front row seat in the trajectory of your kind of your career, but let's go back. So let's go back, you know, even mm -hmm. to the beginnings of our relationship. And I want, I'd love, love for you, Kirk, to kind of talk a little bit about um, what led you to pursue a career in education. Can you talk a little bit about that, that journey? My dad was a, a teacher. In fact, he just made the Hall of Fame at Newport Harbor a couple of years ago. And my mom was an office manager. So uh, we are a family of educators. And so I had always planned on being uh, a English or a history teacher and a baseball coach and an athletic director. Those are things that I always wanted to do. And I got my teacher credential in 1984. And our district was going through declining enrollment. In fact, not only were they not hiring teachers, they were actually laying off teachers that had been teaching like 10 or 15 years. So there really weren't any teaching jobs. I was coaching at the time. I did uh, security for a couple of years. I was a resident sub for a couple of years. And then uh, I went into the sporting goods industry and did that for 10 years and was you know fairly successful with that, but really you know missed that interaction with the kids and the whole teaching, coaching component. And so I had the ability at 38 years old to go back into education and, and teach and be in an athletic director. And I had my dream job for four years. And then I, I felt uh, God's call uh, kind of leading me into administration and uh, went in that route and uh, am where I am now. But um, it's just the ability to, again, to, uh, I, I went back into education because I wanted to make a difference in kids' lives. And you can't really do that selling sporting goods as much. Yeah. 
So. Yeah. So you talk about your mom and dad, uh, Ken and Evelyn. For those of you who might be older, might remember uh, Ken. He's no longer with us, but uh, in spirit, certainly. Um, how how do you feel like your your folks shaped your educational framework? Can you point to anything specific? Well, especially the you know as far as being involved in the city, my dad was involved in a lot of different things. He was the head usher at his church for you know twenty or thirty years. Um, he was very involved in Harbor Area baseball. There were a lot of things that he was involved with. It was really giving back to the community and giving back to kids. And so I think I've just kind of modeled after my dad. And my mom was really um, she was the one behind the scenes that you know my dad was always out and doing things, and she would always have dinner for us, and she kept the house. And kind of similar to to Denise, my wife is they were really the strength the rock behind uh, my dad and I that allowed us to go out and do the things that that we could do. And I, I always tell people, you know, my daughters, my wife did a good job raising them and they people always laugh, but it's, as you know, it's really true. She did the majority of the hands-on raising my girls because I was gone. I was coaching and gyms and different places and my job was more to support her and her parenting. Um, and she did a great job. So I, I think... Um, again, the model that my parents had about giving back and doing for others. And um, I think we just modeled that. So, you know, you talk about um, sort of all these different seasons of your life as you started, mm -hmm. you know, in the sporting industry and coaching. You coached baseball. Did you coach football? What else? Co what, coach uh, basketball for okay. one year. Yes. You did? How, on how to dunk? and the, Yes, the I was the, uh, the center <laughs> coach. <laughs> Actually, it was kind of an interesting story. I'd coached freshman football with the varsity basketball coach. And so we got done with football and I was out coaching baseball. And he came to me the day of the first freshman scrimmage and said, my freshman coach quick, can you take the team until I find another coach? And I said, sure. So I went out to the scrimmage and, you know, uh, he never looked, once I said I was going out, he never looked for another coach. I didn't know that, but I was a freshman basketball coach for the rest of the year. And it was a great experience. I, lo I loved it. But coaching basketball is, that's a, it's a crazy man sport. Yeah, it, it is crazy man sport. Yeah. So baseball, let's talk about a little bit about baseball. You feel like there are any, baseball's a sport that you love. You know, we've gone to spring training for many years out in, and to watch some of our boys play ball and, mm -hmm. and it's always good fun. Are, are there any like life principles that you feel like you've grabbed from from just coaching and you know that you you maybe just intuitively now sort of practice that you could point to the sport yeah well I think baseball is a it's a game of failure I mean you know if you get one hit every three at bats I mean you could be in the Hall of Fame so you fail more times than you you succeed so I think as a life lesson that's that's it's pretty good to realize that you're going to fail and it's not the failure that's important. It's how you deal with it and how you move on. Because again, you know, you could strike out three times and look horrible. And then in the last inning, come up and bloop one in for a single to yeah. win the game. And you yeah. know, you're considered a hero. So it's really, it's, you know, it's staying in the moment. It's staying focused. It's being positive, And even though things maybe aren't going well, and I think baseball really lends itself to that, which I think also is kind of why baseball is a little bit of a dying sport is because it's really skill-oriented, it's failure-oriented, and there are other sports where you can go out and if you're pretty athletic, you can be good right away. Um, and there's more success, I think, involved. So baseball's it's a difficult sport to play. And you know, the coaching aspect, I, I think, is just 
looking at you know on a baseball team that you have to fill nine positions and you have to put people in the positions that you think can help the best uh, to be successful and i can remember going to kids sometimes and saying I-, I know you're a natural third baseman but we don't have a shortstop and for the good of the team we need you to play shortstop and so you know now later on when i'm in positions of leadership um, it's the same thing as we look for people that are the right fits in our organization. Mm-hmm. So I think some of that has really helped uh, when we're looking uh, for principals or other positions to say, are they really a good fit mm-hmm. for what we want them to do? So I would imagine even at some level, team being a team player, uh, sacrificing for the good of the, the whole, those are probably values that if you look at how you make decisions and the kind of staff that you're trying to hire, they're probably you could probably point to some of those baseball fundamentals, really. Absolutely, and you know, any team that that really works well together is going to do better than people that are on their own. Yeah. And we know that. I mean, there's all yeah. kinds of leadership uh, um, books and things about all that about working together and teamwork. And you know, sports are great for that. So let's talk about leadership, Kirk. You, you know, I, you without question, you are a phenomenal leader for. A variety of different, uh, in my opinion, for a variety of different uh, reasons, and so uh, I, I, I want to play a, a bit of a, a word game with you in the sense that I want you to respond and just mm-hmm. kind of talk about various uh, phrases or words that that uh, I mentioned. And the first one is leaders are learners. What comes to your mind when you hear that? Leaders are learners. I, I got a good quote from Colin Powell, and he said that that all readers don't lead, but that all great leaders read. And so one of the things I ask my principals is every year at the start of the year, what are you reading? What are you reading? Because um, you can you can never be an expert on everything. And so in education as a principal, they're in charge of so many different areas, and I'm in charge of a lot of different areas as well, from you know pedagogy, from, from teaching to safety, to security, to all kinds of different facilities, all kinds of different things. And so if you're not getting better then other people are passing you up i think that comes from from athletics as well as you know you start a season and you're working on on certain things and you need to get better as the season progresses or people will pass you up so i think it's the same thing in leadership is you have to be getting better all the time and you know education changes it never stays the same and so as leaders i used to tell my staff when i was a principal i think my job as a principal is to keep us ahead of the curve to keep us out in front of things and so that we can get to do the things we want to do instead of people dictating to us what needs to be done so i still remember when the common core came around i know it's a bad word in some some places but i went to a a conference and i went back to my staff and i told them you know i've never been more sure of anything in my life other than marrying my wife and i was spot on with that (laughs) but with this common core we need to teach our kids to read reading is going to be so important in this common core and and the thing i said to them is i have no idea how we're going to get there but we're going to figure it out and i think that's important too as a leader is you can't have all the answers so you have to lean on your people and use their expertise and and that's what good leaders do is they pick the right people that have the expertise to lead in the areas where they have strengths it's interesting you know as an infielder in baseball a big part of effectiveness as a shortstop or a really any infielder is to know what you're going to do with the ball if it comes to you right 
So you're already thinking the batter's up the, to the plate. The pitcher hasn't even pitched the ball yet, thrown the ball yet. And you're already thinking, if the ball comes to me, what am I going to do with it? And to hear you talk about, you know, basically that's what you're saying is a little bit as an, as an administrator and as you're trying to coach your, your uh, you know, secondary mm-hmm. principles to say, we got to be a little bit, what are we going to do with the ball, right, if it, if it comes Absolutely. to... Well, one of the things I would tell leaders, too, is as a leader, you have to be a little bit of a chameleon and you have to look at your staff and their expertise and use their expertise. And then you need to fill in. It's not the other way around where you do what you want and then fill in people. You need to use the strengths of your people. Have you always been a reader or did that start at some point? No, I think it really started when it, when I got in my master's program. I in my doc my doctor's program I think is really where I really started to read a lot. I, I was reading books that were really um, important and interesting to me. I, I think part of the problem through school is I read books because I had to, and I was reading to try and you know ace a test or something. And then when I was reading because I thought it was important for me and and my evolution as an administrator i think it it took it to a different level it's different reading things that you want to read instead of reading things that you have to read have you found and so i'm sure we have educators listening to this in part because of the fact that you're on this podcast have you found that there's been a couple of uh authors over the years that have have really sort of uh given you a springboard in your leadership capacity that have assisted you in this arena I, I can tell you that I read a book called Courageous Leadership that, that Shelley Lang gave me at Team Uncle when I first came as principal. She was in a doctor program at SC. And I tell you, that was the book that really kind of kind of jump-started my, my reading. And it was a great book. And so I'll always be uh, thankful to Shelley for giving me that. But yeah, the, J- Jim Collins, I, I read probably as many bus- uh, business books as I do education okay. books. And so uh, Jim Collins, Daniel Pink, um, uh, Patrick Lencioni, yeah. some of the people we've seen at those leadership conferences. Um, it, it's all about leadership principles. And leadership principles in education or business or the church are really the same. Transferable, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, good leadership is good leadership. And Jim Collins, who wrote really kind of a secular business book, said that the greatest level five leader of all time was Jesus Christ. And again, you can argue that whether he was the son of God, the Messiah, and all those things, but you really can argue that he wasn't a great leader. He took 12 pretty ordinary guys and put together a movement that changed the yeah. world. And so you look at Jesus' leadership principles, as I know we have, and part of it is, you know, you get your people, you train them, you send them out, they come back in, you debrief, you let them fail a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so um, those leadership principles uh, that Jesus had are are just sound leadership principles. Okay, here's another word I want you to talk a little bit about, uh, criticism. Yeah. Criticism as a leader always kind of hurts, but... um, it's really what sets apart great leaders from good leaders because you have to be listening to those things and um, those blind spots that we call them, they're blind spots for a reason. It's because we don't see them. And so um, you really have to have people that are willing to do that. And one of the things I always told my leadership team is that if everybody's thinking like me, mm-hmm. then nobody's thinking. Mm-hmm. I want you to push back. And I you, I know you're big on that too, is, is we want people to push back against us mm-hmm. because... Um, 
That's Some, how you learn, right? Well, and sometimes you know I have this idea that hey, we're going to do this, and I there's no doubt in my mind, and I don't look at the the minefields that are around it, and so I need people to point those things out to me sometimes because I really sometimes I'm too quick to go into action and don't look through all of those things enough, and so it's great to have those people, and um, in our in our organization right now. Um, uh, my boss is really good at that. He's really good at slowing me down and saying, who are the people that need to be involved in this decision? Who do you need to bring in to talk to? And just, just that little piece of slowing down and thinking who needs to be involved in the conversation has really helped me. How do you, I mean, to, I know you, you're not, your life is not void of criticism. And being in the role that you have the last, you know, two decades really um, has made you a bit of a pinata at times. Have you? How have you learned to deal with criticism? Like, what do you listen to? What don't you? What? What? You know, what causes you to, you know, curl up into the fetal position? Do you anymore? I mean, does it? Is it like water off a duck's back? Or, you know, how have you sort of developed your capacity to, to weather the storm? It's always. I think it's always difficult. I think the day it stops being difficult, I should probably get out because you know uh, that means I don't care anymore, and I do care. Uh, but one of the things that I always look at is, if somebody has this perception of me, what behaviors am I doing to give them that perception? Right? If they think that that I'm this way and I really don't think I am. What behaviors am I doing to contribute to that? And so maybe sometimes I'll even go and ask him. I remember we had a, a guy that came up to me one time and he said, how come it is that you don't like me and you don't talk to me? And I was just kind of blown away because mm. I had no idea. And so I started thinking back, man, I've been making this guy feel bad all this time. What can I do to change that and 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 be different? And then I had another gal at one of my schools said the same thing. She said, how come you don't ever say hi to me? And, and that's kind of, as you know, my personality is is I'm I'm really focused and I'll keep my head down and I'll kind of walk and I'm I'm not real personable sometimes. I could sit at my desk and work all day long, and so I have to kind of force myself to go out and be with people and, and say hi to people and talk to people because that's not really my comfort zone. The work is more my comfort zone, and so um, I I think that's it is listening to people that are willing to give you that constructive criticism and. One of the things you said too is, you know, being a pinata and people, you know, lobbing grenades at you sometimes. One of the things I've told my family, because I think it's harder on my family than it is me, because mm-hmm. uh, they can't do anything about it. But one of the things I've told them is when we get that input from people that we know and that we love and we care about, then we need to worry about it. But sometimes people from the outside that say things about us that don't really even know us, mm-hmm. we just got to let that go. Mm-hmm. And that that's just. That's a the way it is behavior too, isn't it? It is, yeah. and it's hard, and it still hurts. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's you get better at it over time. Cool. Okay. Uh, prayer. That's your leadership word. Prayer. My leadership word. Prayer. Uh, well, you know, for me, as you know, it's it's vital. Um, I can only do so much, and I think that's part of it too. When you get in those difficult situations and you can't control it anymore, I think being able to give it up and say, "Lord, this is yours; your take it," has has really helped me. If I couldn't do that, um, I think some of those difficult times would be a lot more difficult. But I know at at some points when I realize that I just can't handle it anymore, and if I can give it up to the Lord, then then I know that you know things are 
in his hands and he'll take care of it. He always has. One of the things too, is I know there are times when I do that, that prayer, but I, I still have that burning in the back of my neck and I still have that knot in my stomach, which means I haven't truly given it up. I'm still kind of hanging on to it a little bit. But when I do pray and I, I do feel that relief, then I know that I've finally given it up and the Lord's in control and I can, I can kind of move on and he's never failed me. So, yeah. You know, Kirk, you have, um, you know, and it, maybe it's unfair because I sort of know the behind the scenes life of, you know, Kirk Dwayne Bauermeister. But prayer is a foundation of your daily d- discipline. I mean, you get up early in the morning every day, you know, meeting with various individuals throughout our city for prayer. And one of the cool things that in the last couple years that you've done, which I think is a, a an outpouring, a fruit, if you will, of, of your prayer life and just your desire to to be offer yourself to be used by God to be a, a, a positive you know influence. We talk about positivity here on this podcast. Um, it's your uh, sort of your song of the day. Talk about that. And maybe there's some listeners. People are tuning in from Canada and from Texas and all over the, uh, the states already listening to this podcast. Maybe they want to... Um, get on your your distribution list so tell us what it is and then uh how can they well and i'll I'll tell you how it started too probably i guess it'd be eight or nine years ago i was a principal at estancia and as like you stated when i start my day i go into my office and i'll generally read uh, my bible and then there'll be a verse maybe that will hit me at what time in the day are you going into your office I'm usually there by 5.30 okay. or 6. So just yeah. so everybody so, knows, so, it's 5.30 in the morning. Well, and so there's nobody around, and I you know, I have the ability to be able to um, do this without interruption, and there's nobody around. And so um, I w- I'll generally read Scripture, and then that'll trigger something, you know, a song or something, or I'll put a key word in, and I'll get a song, and, and then I'll come up with the, the you know, the, the Scripture, and, I'll, and then I, I, I call it my prayer. It's really kind of a rambling stream of consciousness. It's usually some of the words of the song and kind of how I relate it to my life. And so anyway, I was listening to this song and my admin assistant said, what is that? And I told her and I sent the song to her uh, and then I sent uh, a verse with her. And then, so it kind of started that way. And then other people would come in and they would hear it and I would send it to them. And she asked me to send it to a couple people and it just kind of went from there. And so, uh, so now I send it out to probably about 300 people um, every morning. Well, not every morning, Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I, I'm not in the office, so I, I don't do it there. But Monday through Friday, pretty religiously, I, as you know, I send it out. and um, It's interesting. Um, I'll get some input back maybe once or twice a week, and somebody will say, wow, that song really hit me, or thanks, or amen, or you know, some little feedback to know that, that somebody is getting something out of it, which is cool. Well, it's it's especially cool because uh, for a guy who has no rhythm, uh, like you don't, you intentionally don't clap. Why is that? I was asked not to clap by the band because I was throwing people off <laughs> around me. So I, I know there's a rhythm there somewhere. I just can't find it. So for you to use music, for music to be such a big part of your, you know, just positivity again. Kind of yeah. ironic, it, isn't it? It's, it's, it is. Because I love music. I just can't. I have trouble playing the radio. So. <laughs> How has how has your faith um, sort of impacted your approach as an educator? Can you anything come to mind there? Absolutely, it's the love of Jesus, 
And it, you know, it's it's like we say is people don't want to hear about Jesus until they see Jesus in you. And so a lot of times the things that I talk about with my staff is is really they're just godly principles of loving our kids and and being there for our kids and working hard for our kids and um you know, it's it's just sharing the love of Jesus and you know, the best teachers are the teachers that really love their kids. And, yeah. And yeah. you know, and again, I I would hope that my teachers would have thought that I was an encouragement to them, that I, I had their best interests at heart, that I wanted them to be better teachers, better people. And um, as you know, whenever I went to a, a new school and I got moved around a little bit, my, my my first meeting at every school, I would tell them that, you know, this job's important to me. It's going to be important 14 to 16 hours a day, but it's not the most important thing in my life. The most important thing in my life is my relationship with Jesus Christ and my family, Denise and the girls. So just, you know, if anything happens to them, I'm out of here and I'm going to go take care of them. And I expect the same from you to take care of your family mm-hmm. first. And so I would have some people, because in a public education sitting, that's it's kind of dangerous, I think, to speak like that. But I think it was important for people to know who I am and what I value. And some people would come up and say, we really appreciate that. But um, then people would come up and want to test that and say, hey, you know, my son has got a kindergarten program and I really like to go see it. And I'd say, great, I'll cover your class. Go. And because, you know, if you're going to say those words, you have yeah. to back it up. And so, again, I would hope most of the people that work with me would say that I followed through on that and that my family was important, their family was important. And really building that family in a school, I think, is really important that the teachers feel a part of it, the kids feel a part of it. And that, you know, when they walk through those doors, I, you know, I used to tell the the parents that I, I consider those my kids and I would do the same thing for your kids mm-hmm. that I would do for my kids because I, I feel they are. Well, and that really goes back to your love, right? Your love for the student and the desire to, you know, help them, you know, just grow and expand and develop and become everything that God, you know, has has created them to do. Kirk, can you think about, um, can you think, when you think back over your, just, you know, your life and are, have there been one or two educators, so to speak, since we're talking about education, or one or two people in your life that have really helped you kind of shape you to to be who you are today? Well, besides my dad, who was the best teacher I ever saw, my, my memories of my dad, besides him coaching me, were always him at home grading papers with mm. his red pen out on, mm. the, on the thing. And I was able to, as a student teacher, go and watch him teach a couple times. Mm. And he was an amazing teacher. And, you know, people that are from this area will tell you that. But for me personally, the teachers that I had were Buzz Amble at College Park when I was in sixth grade. And he, we had a, a sixth grade basketball team that he started and he made me captain of that, you know, sixth grade basketball team. And he was really, I think, the first guy that kind of saw some leadership qualities mm. in me, which was was special because I was kind of a jerk as a little kid, you know, and I'd gotten fights. And um, I think that really kind of helped me um, grow up a little bit. And he really had some expectations of me and he sat me down and told me what he expected of me as the as the team captain and for again for somebody other than your parents to see those things in you and he was somebody that I really respected and I still respect he's a retired teacher now and he's still over at Pomona Hmm. helping him kids read and he was just an amazing guy the other one was my high school baseball coach Jim Murr who uh 
uh, is really one of the reasons why I'm a Christian now today. Mm. Um, he used to write me letters, and he used to write, you know, Philippians four thirteen at the bottom. And I was not a Christian. And I remember the first time I saw it, I went, "Well, that's that's dumb. What do you write that on for?" <laughs> and then he would do that every time. And so eventually, wow. I said, "You know, maybe I should look, look up, up what that says." Yeah. You know, and and so uh, yeah, he had a he had a huge and s- same thing. He made, I was team captain of of the baseball team and. Um, uh, he same thing had those kind of expectations and um, was a big influence in my life. Hmm. So let, let's let's lighten the mood a little bit, and then I I do want to have kind of close with two other questions. But uh, for those of you who may uh, may or well, actually three questions. Let's start with your ties. Okay, you're wearing uh, Bugs Bunny today. And what's the deal with your ties? Uh, how many ties do you have? And Tell us, tell our listeners or viewers. I really don't know how many ties I have to tell you the truth. I'm gonna guess 500 to 1,000, somewhere in, in that range. Cartoon I, ties. Uh, cartoon ties, superhero ties, movie ties. Um, they're all pretty much fun ties. I have some grown-up ties, my wife calls them, and they're Jerry Garcia ties. They're kind of <laughs> kind of neat and kind of fun and stuff, but when I go to wasps or, you know, weddings or funerals and stuff okay. i wear my grown-up ties but you know i, I think it's uh, it's probably a lot easier for a kid to come up and talk to somebody in a bugs bunny tie than a power tie yeah. and so it, i think it led to some good conversations with kids too is they would come up and talk to me and i had a lot of kids that um would bring me ties they'd go on vacation oh, i saw this and i wanted to get this for you and i had educators who have retired that gave me their their tie collections too knowing that um, ties are kind of cool with me and you know I throw out the lame ones but the good ones I yeah, keep yeah. Uh, but it's it's Denise has two drawers and as you know I'm colorblind and so Denise sets out my clothes every day to match and it's one of the things I used to tell my staff too that just so you know if I don't match that means my wife didn't set out my clothes and I had to try it do it myself <laughs> yeah just so that, you know she would they wouldn't give her a hard time <laughs> so I uh, yeah uh, I'll stop there um <laughs> Let's so let's play a little trivia. If you, if you know anything about Kirk, Kirk is a phone a friend. If you know uh, something random, and so I'm going to test it. Okay, so I got some some education history because you you mentioned that you you taught history. So I'm going to see how well you do. I've got um, five. Well, I taught history last century. <laughs> okay, so. so this this is a this this could be a hard one then, but. Um, who was the first female? If I don't get it right, you're going to edit this out, right? Maybe. Yeah. Who was the first female prime minister of the United Kingdom in 1979? Any idea? Uh, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Go on. Now, this is where Kirk's really good at. It. It's music trivia, okay? So, in which year did these songs all appear at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart? You're going to kill it. Blinded by the Light, Dancing Queen, Hotel California, and You Light Up My Life. Well, it's 76 or 77. I would say 76. 77. 77. I'll give, I'll nah, give that to you. You're, okay, yeah. you're, you're in the wheelhouse there. Okay. Okay, here's a, here's a student uh, band. 1968, a physics student. This, this is easy. You're going to nail it. A physics student and a dentistry student formed a band named Smile. 
you know who they are yet? No. In 1970, they were joined by an art student. So you got a physics student, a dentistry student, and an art student. This sounds they, like the makings of a joke. And they changed their name to that by which they're now known worldwide. Any idea who the band is? What year did you say? I haven't said 68? that. 68? That's when they started, yeah, yeah. 68. And then they It's a rock it. band. It's a rock band. 71, they added a bass player. In 1973, they released their first single, Keep Yourself Alive. I vaguely remember that song. I was going to say the band, but it's not the band. And then they, there's a movie out right now, Bohemian Rhapsody oh, or something. Queen, yeah. Yeah, Queen. Okay, so no, I students. didn't know that. Okay, so uh, this is easy for everybody. Join in if you want to on the, on the video here. A TV show that featured a family traveling around in a school bus spawned this 1970 number one hit named The Song. So the, I'll, I'll give you the show. It was The Partridge Family. Sure. Do you know what the song was? Uh, is it like, come on and make me happy or something like that? No, I think I love you. So I think I love you. Okay, that was another song. Come on, Kirk. Okay, this one I'm not sure you'll get, but... Denise would have got that. In 1975, which British group released this rock song, Slow Ride? Foghat. Yeah! Let's give it up for Dr. B. See? Okay, cool. All right, two more questions, Kirk. Uh, what does loving your city mean? look like for you what does that mean for you hmm. that's a good question i think it's uh number one supporting your leaders any way you can um, and hopefully i've done that over the years it being available um, for needs in the city um, helping out with your schools helping out with your churches just I, I, for me it's it's being available and helping out when i see a need in my city do you think uh Again, you sort of referenced your dad. You think your dad really sort of modeled that for you? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And then this, really the last question is why would a student, why would someone want to consider, and maybe even you, know, you talked about being 36 and coming out of the business world. 38. 38. Yes. Yes. Why would someone want to consider a career in education? There's a, a, a lot. Of, I think number one is, again, the impact that you can have on lives by by far that's the number one thing i'll tell you some other side notes for education is um i've been in education my wife um it works in the, the office at one of our schools we have the same vacations as our kids to have that time off is really cool um i, I think uh it's a collegial profession where teachers really get together and work together um i think that's a kind of unique in our uh in our industry as well but by far the number one thing is the, the working with the kids, the relationships, um, the impact that teachers have on kids' lives is there's nothing like it. So if you're someone who is wired to see the good in people, if you have a, uh, if you're, I would imagine you have to have some degree of learning capacity, do you not? Absolutely, sure. You know, and if you really wanna shape the trajectory. So that's that's you know the other thing is I don't think people understand how smart teachers are. Yeah. Um, it, it, their work is very difficult, but when you look at you know, like top GPAs, teachers are usually number two behind doctors. But um, it's you know there's a fallacy that teachers get into teaching because they can't do anything else. Teachers get into teaching because they have a love of the profession. They want to help kids and. There, there's people from the time that you know they're five years old want to be teachers, mm -hmm. and so teachers are smart, caring, hardworking people. 
Um, again, can't say, say enough about them and the job they do for our kids every day. And I think most people would agree with that, that um, our teachers are just, they're special people. They really are. So if you're interested after having heard this podcast or watched it in getting on Kirk's email song of the day, you can just send it to Palm Harvest info at po- or actually podcast at palmharvest.com and we'll uh, include your email address and we'll get Kirk to add you. It could be thousands. We'll we'll see, you know. And if you're a prospective teacher and you <laughs> yeah, want to work yeah. in Newport Mesa Unified School District, send me your your information too or if you want to know more, I'm always available to chat with people that want to get into the profession. Absolutely. So. so how much longer you got in the tank, you think? You know, people keep asking me that. I don't I don't know because I'm getting more and more blonde all the time, but I don't know. I have, you know, I, I'm still enjoying it. And once I get to the point where I'm not, I might think about it, but um, I, I, I like to think I've got some time left. Well, Kirk, you know, we're, we're friends. And, but that being said, uh, thank you for your contribution to this city. You know, you are without question, a shareholder. You, I, I've learned so much from you. I've done, we've, you know, done so much together and, and, but you know, it's, it's people like you, I I would call you what a a unifier and you have this uh, real God-given capacity to, to have different perspectives. I mean, even you and I don't always agree politically and Mm -hmm. we're at different aisles, but you have this ability to, to listen to people and to, I think, collaborate and be together towards a a better end, you know, a better, uh, something greater and i just want to commend you and and i'll tell you what that comes from my dad and one of the things the great things about my dad is he would always say that if you can't argue both sides of an issue you don't know it well enough Mm. and when he was a teacher if he had a bunch of conservative kids in his class he would play the liberal and make you know really test them on their ideas or vice versa and i think as you know i'm kind of the same way Mm. i kind of push people i'm kind of in the middle and i you know i vote for some republican republicans some democrats and i I try to kind of push both people to be, you know, at their best and challenge their thinking. And um, so, and again, I, that comes directly from my dad. I, that, that my dad was a master at that. Yeah, your dad sure was. Yeah. Well, for all of us here at the Palm Harvest Podcast, uh, City Leaders Podcast, thanks for joining us today. Awesome having Kirk Bauermeister uh, in the house, affectionately known as Dr. B in this community. Uh, We look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, I'm Mike Decker signing off with Kirk Bauermeister. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning in to the Palm Harvest Podcast. Make sure you check us out at palmharvest.com.